It was a bounce back win and maybe a statement performance by the Notre Dame defense as they downed 18th ranked Virginia last week. They were determined, uh, they were persistent, they uh, didn't panic. Maybe teams earlier that I've had here would not have found a way to win that game. Today, well, it may be the most lopsided victory for the Irish in decades as they welcome in lowly Bowling Green to town and a familiar face, former Irish defensive coordinator Brian Van Gorder is now the man in charge of the Bowling Green D. And Father Pete McCormick, chaplain for the Notre Dame men's basketball team, is our guest this week on Focus on Faith. Live from the Redeemer Radio 95.7 studios in the shadows of the Golden Dome, this is Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. After two straight weeks of facing top 25 opponents, 3-1 and Notre Dame back at Notre Dame Stadium for the second straight week to host 1-3 and Bowling Green. Not much drama expected in this one except for who the defensive coordinator is for Bowling Green. Welcome to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Notre Dame FCU, where Eubank does matter. I'm Angel DiCarlo. Brian Van Gorder returns to Notre Dame Stadium for the first time since being fired as the defensive coordinator of the Irish during the 2016 season. He's the now he's now the defensive coordinator for Bowling Green, a team that is about as bad as exists in Division <laughs> I college football. So with BVG returning, we have Alex Wilcox back for a second straight week, filling in for Kevin Downey, who has workout obligations today. Alex, uh... All right, you were <laughs> you were a student assistant under Brian Van Gorder yes. back in 2015. Today could be awfully interesting, can it? Oh, uh, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, like, where do you begin here? Bowling Green is terrible. The the only reason why this is an intriguing matchup is because of the return of BVG. That's what that's what everyone here wants to talk about. Everyone wants to hear about. I'm just looking at at Bowling Green's uh, Bowling Green stats here and their schedule. Shut out to Kansas State, fifty-two to nothing. Lost to Louisiana Tech, thirty-five to seven. I mean, like you, you see, BVG's defense clearly hasn't changed much. They're still allowing fifty-two points in a game. I mean, my God. Now, now to be fair, it is their first year there, and they're taking over. So sure, uh, you know, <laughs> it's still the first year. So we'll say that. That would be the only thing we can say to be fair. All right. On tap on this morning's show, our focus on faith segment is with the team chaplain for the Notre Dame men's basketball team, Father Pete McCormick. Great, great interview. You won't want to miss later on in the show. We're one third of the way through the football season, so we will give our trimester grades coming up, position by position. Our poll question today how many points does Notre Dame score against one in three Bowling Green your options were Notre Dame scores less than 35 points Notre Dame scores 35 to 50 points Notre Dame scores 51 to 65 points or Notre Dame scores more than 66 points right now I'm actually kind of surprised 35 to 50 is leading the way at 43 percent 51 to 65 is second with 35%. 15% of you say 66 or more. 7% say less than 35. If they score less than 35, we're going to have a lot to talk about <laughs> next week on this show. BVG's uh, revenge. Uh, 
Notre Dame 45-point favorites in this one because Bowling Green is that bad, as Alex mentioned. Uh, you know, one in three, those losses to Kansas State and Louisiana Tech. I don't think you mentioned Kansas State, did you? No, I didn't. Uh, they lost to Kansas State 62-20 to last week. Oh. They scored. They gave up 62 points to Kent State. Wow. So, yeah. Um, as you would imagine, Brian Van Gorder was a hot topic this week for Brian Kelly. Asked about it a few times over and over. Here's a compilation of what Brian Kelly had to say about the return of good old BVG. You know, obviously uh, have a great personal relationship with Brian Van Gorder. Respect him as a football coach and as a person. Um, you can see that he's, you know, getting those guys lined up, getting them to play fundamental football first and foremost. And uh, it's just a matter of recruiting and, and time and getting those guys to the level where they can compete uh, in, in the MAC. Brian, you, you mentioned Brian Van Gorder. You've obviously gone against Chuck when he was a, a head coach. Brian's the defensive coordinator. What's it like going against him and what uh, – What's kind of been your communication with Brian in the past couple of years? Have you guys been in touch? No, we haven't uh, been in touch. He's, he's had a, you know, obviously a, a busy career in terms of moving around a little bit. So we haven't been able to stay in touch. Um, most of it's been through his son, um, Montgomery, who was here. And then obviously uh, now is at Georgia. Um, but um, Going against Brian is, is always a challenge because he's, he's multiple defensively. You're going to get a lot of different looks. Uh, so you have to be prepared for a lot of different things. Um, that's first and foremost. You better be, you better be ready for uh, a lot of different things. Now, as I said, um, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not certain that they're at that level uh, where they can bring as many things at you as they did here at Notre Dame, but we'll have to be prepared for that. Uh, but that's that's what you get when when you go up against a Van Gorder defense. Um, in what ways, when Brian Van Gorder was here, did that inform whether it's schematics, X's and O's, teaching style, whatever? How did that inform moving to you know Elko, Clark Lee, like that style of defense? Uh, uh, is the question? The continuity or lack of continuity is, is the style of defense or the way it's taught. Um, you know, I, I think that when we talk to players about Clark Lee, they talk about how simple everything is. Um, you know, I think Brian Van Gorder was much more of a, you know, let's do a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know if that informed, okay, we want to move to this style of defense next. Yeah. Um, you know, without without getting into too many details, I think it was the teaching. I think it was the the, the way it was taught um, that I was looking for a change in in the way that the the defense was being taught. All right, that's Brian Kelly on Brian Van Gorder, and you could tell Brian Kelly was very selective in what he had to say. Oh yeah. Uh, um, you know, this is still a friend of his. Whether or not they haven't talked um, for a while, I'm sure there's some heart, hurt feelings there from Brian Van Gorder's side, uh, but, you know, Brian Kelly doesn't really fire assistant coaches. It never right. had happened up until that point. And especially mid-season, too. I mean, that was, that was what, yeah. four games into the, yeah. into it was the after season? The, uh, after the Duke game, After that right? illustrious Duke uh, yeah. 
Duke performance uh, back during that terrible 2016 season. Yes. Um, so he was very selective. That's the only thing when we look at this poll question of how many points does Notre Dame score today. That's honestly the only thing that keeping me from saying they'll score 70 is that I think maybe Brian Kelly might put the brakes on yeah. because he doesn't want to embarrass one of his friends. That's Honestly, it's the only yeah. only thing that, that holds me back. Um, all right, but he mentioned um, multiple defenses, complication. Oh yeah. All right, you were in the room as a student assistant coach. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned last week that Joe Schmidt was pretty much the only player it seemed like that really understood everything. Yeah. How complicated was that system for everyone to understand it it was unbelievably complicated it, it was it was so complicated that some of the coaches didn't even fully understand what was going on and they had to teach it to their players coaches didn't fully understand it so obviously the players didn't fully understand it the the playbook that was given out was the thickest binder i have ever seen and that was just a sample of all of the defenses that Brian Van Gorder wanted to run. On his call sheet that he would have for every game, it was just pages after pages of all these exotic defenses and and blitzes of, of every kind. And, you know, the, these were defenses that he brought from the NFL because that was supposedly, like, you know, his his big calling. You know, why, why he was brought to Notre Dame was because of these exotic blitzes that he was bringing in because of his NFL scheme. The problem is, is that it just didn't work in the college game. In the NFL, you can devote 12 hours a day to just football. But in college, you can't. And so all of these schemes that he was bringing in from Rex Ryan and from, you know, his time at the Falcons, that that worked to some degree in the NFL. They just didn't work here at the college level. And I think you've seen that sort of throughout his career. He didn't have a whole lot of success last year at Louisville. It looks like he's struggling now here at uh, here, here at Bowling Green. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's overly complex. And then when you see the success that like Mike, uh, Mike Elko and Clark Lee have had running a very simple defensive scheme, it, it really just, just shows sort of the, the the way and the emphasis that you need to be teaching. Yeah, it, he obviously had success early on in his college career. Uh, you know, when he was first getting going, then he spent time in the NFL, and it's almost he just didn't adjust back. Is is what it basically yeah. seems like. Um, all right, uh, give me uh, give me your best uh, BVGs story. Oh my gosh, there's there's I've been thinking about this all week because there, <laughs> there there's so many to choose from. Uh, I, I'll try to I'll try to get a couple in here. The very first time that that I met Brian Van Gorder was my uh, my junior year when I was just a, a student manager, and our uh, our head equipment manager Ryan Grooms brought us up to to sort of meet the coaching staff, the coaches that we were going to be working with, and so I went up to meet Brian Van Gorder. And uh, just went into his office and said, you know, hey, I'm Alex. I'm going to be uh, your manager this year. You know, looking forward to working with you, all that. And he just kind of leans back in his chair. Eyes get real wide. He's packing a massive lip. And he just sort of <laughs> he just sort of nods back and forth at me. Doesn't say a word for probably 30 seconds, just nodding at me. And then just says, welcome to the jungle. That's all he said to me in that entire meeting. <laughs> And then just kept nodding at me until I just walked out of the room and just went went back down to, to the equipment room. One of the strangest first impressions I've ever gotten in my life. Uh <laughs> I'll welcome give welcome to the jungle. welcome to the jungle. It was it was one of his catchphrases. I'll give you I'll give you another. So my senior year, 
when when I was a student uh, student coaching assistant, one of my jobs actually was to uh, was to go out and uh, and get drinks for the assistant coaches. And this was this was sort of uh, sort of under the table. Uh, but but one of one of the I probably learned more about BVG's drink order than I did about his actual defense. The problem was though was that if you remember that season, the 2015 season, was when uh, Coach Sark got in a little trouble for uh, showing up to practice, uh, having having a couple too many. So halfway through the season, we had to sort of start being a little conspicuous about how we, how we got our drinks into the building. And now, I'm not saying that it got to the level of Sark. No one was drinking before practice. No one was drinking at practice. No one was showing up drunk to practice. And I've got no problem with, with coaches, you know, having a drink while they're watching film after, you know, after a, a long day. But that was, uh, that was certainly one of the, uh, one of the interesting ones. And listen, there's so much to, to sort of, to, to laugh at Brian Van Gorder for. He was a wild man and he sort of certainly brought it on himself. I will say though, there are certain parts of Brian Van Gorder that I definitely really respected one example of that is my senior year uh we had a a linebacker john turner and about halfway through the season his mom died and she had been she had been very sick for a while and so every monday we had a meeting with uh with the entire defense all of the staff all of the players where we would go over film from the week before and sort of get ready for the next opponent and so during that defensive session Brian Van Gorder just took time, probably 10, 15 minutes out of that meeting where he just he just talked about how important family was and how important it was to 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 have to have people close to you and to have people that support you and love you. And he he went into into details about how he didn't have a great relationship with his dad growing up, but how he was able to sort of mend that relationship while his dad was was old and sick and how important that meant to him. And so he did take the time to sort of pass along some of these life lessons, you know, to these college kids. And to this day, that's sort of a, a meeting and a, a discussion that, that has stuck with me since then. Alex Wilcox uh, filling in for Kevin Downey today, bringing some uh, Brian Van Gorder stories from Alex's days as a student assistant coach under BVG, who's now the assistant coach for uh, the defensive coordinator for Bowling Green as the Irish get set to face Bowling Green coming up this afternoon at Notre Dame Stadium. We want to thank Tire Rack for being such great supporters of Redeemer Radio. The folks at Tire Rack underwrite our internship program with high school students from Marion and St. Joe. The students are getting college-level internship experience thanks in large part to the generosity of Tire Rack. More tires, great prices. Visit TireRack.com. All right, uh, a lot of injury notes to get to. Jafar Armstrong still not back yet abdominal tear probably getting close so it'll be interesting to see whether when he exactly might be getting back uh sean crawford dislocated elbow looked awful if you haven't seen it don't go see it (laughs) uh he's out only three to four weeks already making great progress according to brian kelly unbelievable what this kid has gone through i mean the fact that you know, he's had three season-ending injuries. Yep. Now he dislocates his elbow, which has nothing to do with the ACL tears and the uh, uh, torn Achilles, and, and and now he's hurt again. But thankfully, you know, he's he's going to be back. That's, right. the, that's the great news in all this. And, and when he went down, I'm sure everyone in the stadium assumes that, that – 
that was it. Sure. It was another season-ending injury. To hear that he's only going to be out three to four weeks is it, it? It seems like frankly a miracle, and finally a little bit of good luck when it comes to Sean Crawford's injury news, which he hasn't had any of throughout his career. Well, you know, there's a rule in the press box: no cheering in the press box. Right. There's an audible groan as soon as everyone realized it was number 20 on, yeah. on, on the ground yeah. um, last week. All right, Dalen Hayes, meanwhile, out for the season. Uh, the good news is he will return for a fifth year next year, and if there's a position where you can afford an injury, it's on that defensive line, which is deep, and finally, over these last two weeks, showing what they're made of, stepping up in a major way against Virginia, especially in that second half. Oh, absolutely. I mean, eight sacks against Virginia last week in incredible performance. And for for Dalen Hayes, really, you know, a season-ending injury is always terrible. But the timing of this was actually perfect. Sure. Happening in the fourth game of the season so that he's still able to redshirt. If that, if that happens this week against Bowling Green, his Notre Dame career is over. Right. Instead, he gets to come back for a fifth year next year. Adi Ogundeje had a fumble recovery for a touchdown. touchdown. Myron Tagovailoa had a fumble recovery return nearly for a touchdown. Here's what <laughs> MTA had to say after the game. So the whole point of the plan was just to contain uh, the QB. Obviously, he's a big threat in the run game. And uh, you know, Jameer Jones stepped up, stepped in, made a big play uh, attacking the QB, and I was just in the right position at the right time. And uh, <laughs> it was a dream, honestly, running with the ball, catching the ball. That's a D-line's dream right there. But I got to finish that dream by getting the end zone, which I didn't. So hopefully I get the opportunity again. Ade said uh, he expected you to run a little quicker, but there's no way that you'd be quicker than he is. Okay, with Ade's one, the QB was would have caught him if the QB was not touched. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm playing. I think I'm faster than Ade, though. So, what uh, what does it mean to you to see the defense doing what it was able to do today? I mean, you guys in the second half were just, you know, everywhere. Uh, it's such a blessing, you know, just seeing our plan just going to fruition. Um, everything we've been repping all week, it just all came came into fruition, just like I said. Uh, containing the QB to where uh, so we can get like coverage sacks. Not only that, like we can pressure the QB so he can make bad decisions, and that's what happened with the turnover ratio and stuff like that. That's Myron Tagovailoa. Most words I've heard from MTA spoken <laughs> um, in every other interview combined. So. Get some more fumble recoveries returned nearly for touchdowns, and we'll get more from MTA. Uh, Julian Aquara finally had his breakthrough game. Three tackles, three sacks, three tackles for loss, two forced fumbles in one game. His numbers better than the previous three games, not even close. Uh, Khalid Kareem had three tackles, two and a half sacks, two and a half tackles for loss. Jameer Jones had a sack tackle for loss and a forced fumble so really everyone uh showing up and now we're seeing that was probably the game everyone was expecting to see from the defensive yeah. line all year yeah absolutely I mean because the, the talk going into it was Julian Aquara, Khalid Kareem potential first round picks in in the NFL draft and suddenly it was it was like they had disappeared you know where were they we were seeing good play from Dalen Hayes but it was really good to see that defensive line say, okay, you know, this is what we're supposed to be. This is what we're supposed to do. Eight sacks on the day, and these stat lines are just ridiculous. Three tackles, three sacks. Clyde Kareem, two and a half sacks. And against a very mobile quarterback in Bryce yeah. Perkins, too. 
All right, uh, and the Irish trailed 17-14 at halftime, outscored Virginia 21-3 in the second half. So to be able to get that done, a, a great win for Notre Dame last week. Fiddler's Hearth in downtown South Bend is a great place to grab a drink, eat a great dinner, and listen to live music, a locally owned public house. Fiddler's Hearth has 24 beers on tap, so your options are plentiful. It's also a family-friendly place, and they have a great Sunday brunch from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. They want to reward the loyal listeners of Redeemer Radio. Just mention you heard Fiddler's Hearth on Redeemer Radio to your server. You get 10% off your bill. That's Fiddler's Hearth on Main Street in downtown South Bend. Time for a timeout still to come. Father Pete McCormick, chaplain for the Notre Dame men's basketball team, is our Focus on Faith guest. And when we return, let's talk about the offense and quarterback Ian Book, and we'll give our grades out position by position. That's next on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. We know you like football. So do we. We're TireRack.com, and this is our version of a two-minute drill, except it's only 30 seconds. TireRack.com has an enormous selection of tires. Not sure which ones to buy? Use our tire decision guide to find the right tires for your vehicle and the way you drive. Then get them shipped fast and free on all orders over $50. Shipping is in as little as one day. Free. TireRack.com ships to independent, recommended installers. TireRack.com. The way tire buying should be. Touchdown! And our title sponsor for Irish Sports Saturdays is Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Did you know that Notre Dame FCU provides financial assistance to help our members at participating Catholic schools? To find out the details, ask your local Catholic school principal. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, you ready to share our values? Why not share in our benefits? Angel DiCarlo, Alex Wilcox here with you for Notre Dame FCU's Irish Sports Saturdays. Alex filling in for Kevin Downey, who's off this week for work obligations. Uh, and time now to go through our positional grades, position by position. We'll start at quarterback, and we'll start with a little discussion about Ian Book. 17-25 for 165 yards last week against Virginia. No touchdown passes, no interceptions, sack four four times and those calls for oh, oh, let's put Phil Jakovic in <laughs> are starting to heat up I can't I mean I get it he's not playing uh lights out yeah but I can't believe how serious people are getting with saying put Jakovic in it's definitely not time for that I mean he he's Ian Book isn't playing to the level that we saw from him last year yeah. But he's not playing to the point that he needs to get benched. And also, we've seen Phil Jerkovic, at least in, uh, I guess, the spring game was the last time we saw him in competitive action. He didn't look very good either. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe Phil Jerkovic has progressed a lot, and we'll, we'll hopefully get to see a lot of him today against Bowling Green. Yeah. But to say that Notre Dame needs a quarterback change, absolutely not. All right, here's Brian Kelly on Ian Book. I think in some areas he's made really good progress. Um I think there's there's room for improvement in, in, in others. But I could probably say that about a lot of players. But again, and I think we all know this, the spotlight is on the quarterback. So the scrutiny on him is 10 times um, on him than it is on other positions. And, and he knows that. Um, but if you're asking me, you know, where is Ian in this process? I'll go back to what I said last week is that he just finished his 13th, you know, going on his 14th game. So um, we want to continue to see steady progress in him seeing the field, uh, making good decisions as it relates to protections, um, our RPOs, 
Uh, and we're not seeing it go the other way, um, but we want to continue to see that natural uh, progression of managing our offense, but also, um, you know, he's got the ability to be explosive, and, and uh, I think that's the next step for him. The, the question I have at this point is, uh, now I'm not going to say pardon the cliche because I'm just going to go for it, <laughs> is, the, is the book out on Ian Book? That now... Now everybody knows what right. he can do and yeah. can't do, and defense coordinators are planning accordingly to it. I, I think that's definitely part of it because he came in midway through last season or four games into yeah. last season, and no one really had any real tape on him until you got to the to the end of the season. And I think you saw it. Clemson, of course, had an elite defense, sure. but they were also able to prepare for Ian Book and what but he likes USC, to do. But even USC, he wasn't. That's that's true. Actually. Now he was battling that rib injury at right. the end of the year, so that that was part yeah. of the view of what we thought. But maybe it was that okay. They had four or five games now that they started realizing. All right, maybe he can't throw the ball right. downfield here. Yeah. All right, uh, let's let's begin our grades position by position, and we'll start at quarterback. What's your grade for for Ian Book so far? I'm giving him a C plus. Wow. Yeah, I know. I, it's it, it's a tough grade because, look, his stats aren't bad. He's completing over 60% of his passes, eight touchdowns on the year. It's just not the Ian Book that we saw last so season. So you're, you're grading him on a curve? Yes. Okay. Yeah. You're, I, I, I expect more from Ian Book. Okay. I'm still giving him a B because I, I think if all things considered, he's – He's much better than where they were at this time last year at the quarterback. Oh, absolutely, position. yeah. So I, I'm going to give him a B. Kevin uh, said B plus um, in, in that you know book's still very good, and that he's got good players around him that will only increase his production. All right, running backs. Um, Tony Jones, 131 yards rushing last week, three touchdowns versus Virginia. Javar Armstrong's been out this whole time. Yeah. Uh, what grade are you giving the running backs? I'm giving the running backs a B minus. Haven't seen a lot from the Notre Dame run game this season. If they get Jafar Armstrong back soon, though, that'll be a big boost for them. I'm going to go B minus also. Um, no matter what they had, they weren't going to run the ball in Georgia that well. Yeah. Um, and they did run against a very good defense in Virginia. Uh, yes, they didn't run the ball particularly well in games one and two either but those games weren't ones they should lose so i almost I, i'll give them a b minus kevin said c they're just average uh <laughs> wide receivers tight ends what do you got i gave them a, a b plus if we split this up though into wide receivers and tight ends as separate categories i'd probably give the receivers a b minus chase claypool has looked good chris fink has it the tight ends though i might give an a with cole Komet and tommy tremble i'm really high on these guys kevin said b minus uh i thought his note was interesting here he said claypool and Komet are very good the others haven't had the breakout gain he said basically right now they have two playmakers for four positions mm, yeah. that's a very good point yeah. by kevin um i'll go with b you know they're 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 good but they need to be better to help you in book out and yeah. a lot of those pieces are coming back um including michael young last week so that's help all right offensive line uh, i'll be interested in hearing your grade here whether or not you're <laughs> grading them on a curve or not here I, I am grading them on a curve here as well, just because the offensive lines that we're used to seeing from Notre Dame have been so dominant, have been clear A pluses. I'm giving them a B minus right now. I mean, when's the last time a Notre Dame quarterback has been sacked four times? I think the Irish are really missing Harry He stands. Yeah, I'm going to go with B minus also. I, I just think the Notre Dame offensive line is always supposed right. should always be the number one graded position yeah. on maybe the entire team. 
I, know? I would agree with that. So, so I have to go B minus. All right, let's flip over. We talked a lot about the defensive line in the first segment. What do you got for a grade for them? I gave them a B. You know, they they had a fantastic game against Virginia, and I'm hoping that that it's trending in the right direction now, and they continue this good play. But you know, a, a ho hum start to the season for them. Uh, Kevin gave him a B plus. I actually am giving him an A minus. Wow. Well, think about it. They played really good football against Georgia. They did, yes. And they played awesome football against Virginia. Mm-hmm. Who cares about New Mexico? <laughs> it's like if they don't show up today, yeah, you want them to be consistent. But, you know, they could roll out you and me on the defensive line. <laughs> Bowling Green might score because of that, but they ain't going to probably win the game in the long run. Right. So uh, I'm going to give them A-. minus. They've stepped up when it's mattered most, and I think, um, again, I think people are if you grade them on the curve, then yeah, yes. maybe it's B, B minus. Mm-hmm. But if you just look at it overall, I, I think they're an A minus. Uh, how about a linebackers, a position that, you know, obviously no one thought was going to do well this year. Yeah. They've been pretty decent. Yeah, I, I'm giving them them a B overall. You know, they haven't been outstanding. And especially after they struggled against Louisville, there was a lot of concern about them. But they, they've picked up their play. They played well against uh, against Georgia, had a nice game against Virginia as well. So solid B. I'll give them B also. Kevin said C, they're average, but again, improving. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't argue with that point of view either, but I just think they're trending in the right direction. Secondary, um, I'm going with an A. I mean, I don't know how you could go uh, against the way the, the the three safeties are playing with Kyle Hamilton adding in. The only thing that's going to hurt them, moving forward, they might not be an A. Without Sean Crawford, that right. second cornerback could be problematic, or maybe the third cornerback because Tariq Bracey has played well and, and certainly Troy Pride has played well this season. So I'm giving the, the secondary an A. Yeah, I, I gave them an A-, minus, which is the highest grade that, that I gave out. The secondary, clearly the strength of the Notre Dame defense right now. And yeah, I mean, their, their safety play is phenomenal. Two captains and I love this stud freshman, Kyle Hamilton. All right, how about, uh, and Kevin gave him a B-plus, special teams. Kevin said a C. Um, I thought that was a little harsh. Yeah. I, I went with a B. I think I, I think we haven't complained at all about the kickers or the putters. Right. The biggest problem, obviously, was Fink dropping the ball. That was inevitable because he takes too many risks. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't think the special teams has been bad. They weren't good last week. But overall, yeah. I think they've been pretty solid. I, I actually would have given them an A overall. Ended up giving them an A minus if it weren't for all the scripts last week against Virginia. Mm-hmm. Also, Chase Claypool has shined on yes. special teams. And Kevin pointed out, Bo Bauer also has been yeah. electric on special teams. Uh, coaching, Kevin went with a B plus. I'm gonna go with a B plus. I say it's A plus for defense, mm-hmm. B minus for offense. That's how I came out to the the B plus grade. I, I'm going with with an A minus overall. I, I've I've been impressed with uh, with this coaching staff and the way they've handled things, uh, losing a lot of people uh, to both the NFL and also dealing with some injuries. And I was really impressed with how they handled themselves against Georgia. All right, uh, your overall grade for the Irish through four games. Overall, I'm giving them a B. You know, they're they're three and one, which is exactly I guess where we thought they would be at this point. Um, but I do see a lot of room for improvement for this team. All right, uh, Kevin and I both in agreement. We both say B plus. It's a they're playing like a top ten team. They've held their own against the uh, the number third ranked team. They beat the number eighteen team. So uh, we're going with B plus overall. All right, uh, time for a timeout. When we return, we're talking about uh, Father Pete McCormick, the chaplain for the Notre Dame men's basketball team, is our guest. 
guest on Focus on Faith. Stick around. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays is back right after this. Hi, this is Tony Catanzari for Catanzari Financial Services. We are proud to bring you this message and invitation from the legendary Lou Holtz. For victory in life, we've got to keep focused on the goal, and the goal is heaven. The key to winning is choosing to do God's will and love others with all you've got. Sacrifice, discipline, and prayer are essential. We gain strength through God's Word, we receive grace from the sacraments. And when we fumble due to sin and it's going to happen, confession puts us back on the field. So if you haven't been going to Mass Weekly, get back in the game. We're saving your seat on the starting bench this Sunday. What a great message from Lou. When it comes down to it, this is all about family values for us at Catanzari Financial Services, and I bet for you too. If you would like to develop a retirement plan that reflects your family values, visit CatanzariFinancial.com to register for classes held through IU South Bend, or email me directly at Tony at CatanzariFinancial.com. Securities and advisory services offered through Harbor Investment, Inc., member SIPC. Really excited for our Tyrac Game of the Week coming up Friday night as Marion will host Mishawaka in a battle for Princess City bragging rights. Michiana's high school football show Tailgate Talk gets you started at 6 p.m. with the Tyrac Game of the Week between Marion and Mishawaka to fall right here on Redeemer Radio 95.7 coming up on Friday night. Angel DiCarlo, Alex Wilcox back with you. Turning now to Focus on Faith. We heard from Lou Holtz just moments ago. He was our guest on Focus on Faith a few weeks ago. Today, it's Father Pete McCormick, who, Alex, I know you know pretty well from your days at Notre Dame. Yeah, absolutely. He's a great guy. I mean, so so every every dorm on campus at Notre Dame has a has a live-in priest, one of the, the great things about Notre Dame, I guess. And so I was lucky enough to have Father Pete as my live-in priest at Stanford. And he was just such a great guy, always available for guys to talk to. Uh, of course, he's the the chaplain of the men's men's basketball team, and so our dorm, Stanford Hall, did this thing uh, called Griff Hoops. Basically, just the whole dorm goes over and plays hoops on a Tuesday night or whatever. And every single week, Father Pete would come, and he was one of the best players there. The guy, he's a great priest, a great guy, but the guy's an athlete too. He's now the director of campus ministry at Notre Dame, chaplain for the Notre Dame men's basketball team, and definitely a big sports fan. Here's Focus on Faith with Father Pete McCormick. You know, you're the men's basketball chaplain, and and sometimes I, I hear people say, who, who was the men's chaplain before Father Pete? And I guess the answer is everybody. Well, what, can you explain how, how the whole process kind of came to be? Yeah, that, that's exactly the answer, actually. There was a... Um, the approach was basically chaplaincy by committee. So what we did was is that the basketball season's long and there's an extended period of time. And so we would ask a whole load of the CSC priests on campus what games they could pick up. And then we would just work our way through the season that way. So there might be one priest for uh, the Duke game and then there might be another priest for the North Carolina game, so on and so forth. Um, and so when I was just getting started, I observed that and I got uh, a part of that. Uh, but what I realized was that the guys didn't necessarily know anyone priest. I was just another Roman collar who was coming in to celebrate Mass, and they no doubt appreciated it. But at the same time, they were thinking likely of, you know, in the ideal world, we have some consistency. So what I did was I pitched the idea. I said, 
in an ideal world, we would have one, maybe two guys who would help out with this. And admittedly, I said, you know, I really don't have a horse in this race. Um, but I really did because I'm a basketball fan and I played all through high school and then officiated in college. So all of a sudden to have this opportunity, then um, what came around and this is the great part about the basketball season for as many Duke games as there are. There are also teams that you've never heard of that we're playing and they're at times and dates that don't always work out so well. So um, so to be able to have one consistent chaplain all the way through has been really helpful. And so the way I approach it now is, is like if I have a conflict, then I'll ask one or two guys who will help out and assist. But by and large, I'll I'll take probably 90 some odd percent of the games. What do you feel your role is? Uh, what are you hoping to achieve to be there for, for the players? Right. I, I would say that my role really is kind of two functions. One is to encounter them wherever they find themselves um, with no um, expectation about their, their need to reciprocate. I really am just interested in who they are as people, what they're going through, and if there's a way that I can help, great. And if not, that's completely okay. My whole hope is is that if, if I can encounter them where they're at, there might be an opportunity to encounter, uh, not only encounter, but accompany these guys as they go along. So, you know, hey, I'm going through a tough breakup with a girlfriend or I'm dealing with um, some stress from some exams or whatever the case might be. Uh, but just to let them know, hey, I, I care about you as a person first and foremost. I'm not coming in as a priest and I'm going to teach you how to become Catholic. It's far more interesting to me to say, I'm going to meet you where you're at. We're going to have some conversations, and we're going to see where the conversation unfolds from there. You're obviously a big basketball fan, as you as you mentioned, and there's probably nobody that has better uh, quote unquote season ticket than you do right there on the bench. What uh what are your, some of your favorite memories since being uh, chaplain, uh, witnessing there from the bench? Uh, you know the the game that immediately comes to mind is the five overtime game against Louisville. You know Jerry and Grant. Uh, just playing at an amazing level and winning that game and watching the crowd erupt. Uh, Notre Dame beating number one ranked Syracuse when Pat Connaughton is a freshman and he comes out and he just keeps hitting three-point shots like, you know, he's just in his backyard shooting around with a bunch of buddies. Um, uh, these are the moments, and, and I would frankly say that watching Zion Williamson play up close and personal last year, uh, I've seen a lot of great players. Um, I think up until last year, I would have said that Jason Tatum was the best player who was not playing for the Boston Celtics that I had seen up close and personal. Um, but having seen Zion Williamson and his overall explosiveness and the way that he could cover ground as a 285-pound man uh, was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. Father Pete McCormick, chaplain for the Notre Dame men's basketball team, joining us here on Focus on Faith on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Uh, you mentioned playing in high school, so how how good were you? I would say I was okay. Um, <laughs> I, were you a starter? Uh, I, I was the captain of uh, my basketball team uh, in junior and senior year. Um, and in my senior year, I played a, a diminishing role throughout the course of it. So um, I would say I was okay. I was a good, like, energy guy, sixth, seventh, eighth guy coming off the bench. Coach always knew that I would be consistent, that I would um, show up to practice, work hard, do those types of intangible things. And I think that's probably what I brought to the team. There was no uh, Grand Rapids Press beat reporter who was like, I really need to find out where Pete McCormick's going to play college ball at. Let me assure you of that. All right. But you're from Grand Rapids, as you mentioned. Yep. So, and you're a big fan, big college sports fan. So it begs the question. Oh, yeah. Who uh, who did you cheer for growing up? You know, this is going to be very unpopular, but I grew up in the, the era of the Fab Five. Uh -huh. 
And so, you know, rooting for Big Blue, being from Grand Rapids, Michigan, watching those players, you know, the baggy shorts, the black socks, the, the swagger. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I went out and found the baggiest shorts I could possibly wear and would wear them whenever I could. Um, yeah, they just captivated my imagination. You throw the Fab Five on top of Michael Jordan, and you basically have a recipe for my basketball pedigree. Those are the guys that I tried um, to just um, imagine my own game, and I emphasize the word imagine. All right, but now nowadays, how about in football when those two schools are going at it? Who uh, who are you pulling for now? Oh, it's really clear. Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the end of you know, like I always joke that you know, before entering the seminary, I did not know where Notre Dame was. The only thing I knew about Notre Dame was that um, Michigan played them, and it was a big rivalry. And my uncle, who was a big mentor of mine, um, got really fired up. And so I was like, well, if Uncle Bill's fired up, I'm fired up too. Were you, were, did you come from a very religious family and, and kind of what was the reaction from your family once you told them, I, I think I may want to go become a priest? It's a great question. And it's one that I've, I've pondered a lot. I was far more anxious about this decision than they were. Um, I started thinking about this when I was a sophomore in high school, you know, and I had these moments of, of really reflection and contemplation and moments of peace and then followed by anxiety. And I thought, what am I supposed to do with this? And I did what any sophomore in high school should likely might do, which is, uh, I, I shelved it. I talked to my parents about it and said, this is a, this is a post-college decision. And then I worked my way through the remainder of high school and then into college. When I, when I got towards the end, you know, the, the lack of decision-making uh, began to rear its ugly head. So I, I took a fifth year through college, not because I was just so fascinated by the journey, but more because I didn't have enough credits to graduate. I had changed my major so many times between pre-professional and being a biology teacher that I got to the end of my senior year and just didn't have what I needed. So I, um, in my fifth year, I took it as a time of real self-exploration, and I had this moment. I'm riding on my, my bike, um, not a Harley, just a good old pedal uh, bike, and, um, and I had this moment of clarity of, you know, I almost imagine St. Paul get knocked off his horse. I, I had this moment where this voice in my head said, you know, Pete, I've given you a lot of time and uh, you've explored these different options, but never once have you really dug into this idea of being a priest. Um, I'm going to need for you to do that now. And it was the scariest thing for me because it was the most unknown. That meant likely I would have to change the, the vision that I had for myself. I had a particular narrative that I wanted to see played out. Um, and, and that meant that I was going to give myself over to something much bigger than what I could have otherwise imagined. And, and, and thank God that I did. Um, I didn't know what was on the other side of that, that fear and that anxiety, but at the time it was, it, it, it limited my capacity to even see what might be possible. You entered seminary, I think right before nine 11, um, did, how did that while you're in seminary then kind of affect you and, and help you in your discernment? So the, the way that the seminary works uh, when you're coming in from a postgraduate uh, experience is that you do what's called the novitiate in your second year. The novitiate is largely kind of boot camp for priests. It's uh, regimented. At the end of it, you, you take your vows of uh, poverty, chastity, and obedience. Um, and so I literally was a month and a half into my novitiate experience. And, um, and the way it works is you have mandatory silence in the morning, you have mandatory silence in the, in the evening, and then you've got a work period, lunch, and um, mass and other things in the middle of the day. Um, so that morning, when it's normally mandatory silence, all of a sudden I'm rounding the corner and I can see the TV room wide open with the TV on, which would have been a big no-no. And so I walked in. I'm gravitated towards it because I'm like, what's going on in there? And I round the corner 
and there I see one of the planes flying to the towers and I look back in the room and there's all my my classmates. One of my good buddies, a uh, priest that I was ordained with, his father was a former New York City firefighter. Um, he was he was worried about his family. So all of a sudden it went from this world event that was going on. In addition to that, I was thinking about, well, what about Stephen here? What about his family? What's going on? How can we get information? And, and as, as you well know, um, there was so little uh, that we could get out of New York um, right away because we just didn't know what was going on. You know, you eventually become a priest and then you become a rector uh, in a dorm, and now you're the director of campus ministry. Um, what's your role, uh, as, what's your duties as director of campus ministry for those that maybe are like, okay, I kind of have an idea what that is, but I'm not exactly sure what he does. Yep. My, my dad, uh, I think, said it best when I first took this job. You know, there was this big press release, and it's on the uh, university website, and he said, that, Pete, that's great but what do you do? <laughs> and, uh, and so the way I've kind of encapsulated it is the following. It's my job to think about um, how it is that Notre Dame um, engages its faith or invitation to faith for our students, staff, faculty, and alums uh, when they're here on campus. That I always like it because um, the, the, the focus of my energy is actually ordered in the title, campus ministry. So it's my job to think about the ministry that occurs on this campus at Notre Dame. And so when folks are coming in, whether it be at the Basilica or whether it be a DPAC mass post-football game, whether it be a retreat or whether it be a pilgrimage or a faith-based talk, we're trying to engage and think about what are the issues that are at play um, that we can help move the needle a little bit in collaboration with so many great people. The beauty of Notre Dame is um, we are we are laden with great resources on this topic. And so it would be a fool's errand for me to say, ah, I am the sole ambassador of all things faith. Um, but the reality is I have the capacity to be able to network with a variety of people and say, hey, can we partner on this topic or that topic? Or wouldn't it be cool if we could do these things? So that's what we're constantly working on. And I've got a staff of about 40 people that are um, in, in a myriad of different ways responsible for this, this same thing that I'm outlining here. Father Pete McCormick joining us, uh, men's basketball team chaplain on Focus on Faith and Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Uh, one of your basketball players, Rex Fluger, obviously going through a very difficult time. His mom passing away recently of, of cancer. Uh, how difficult is that to see? And, you know, in, in these situations, I, f I feel like it, it's got to be so hard for everybody involved. But um, you play a special role in this, I imagine, to try to be there for not only Rex, but but also uh, the rest of the team as well. That's correct. You know, first and foremost, um, continued prayers for the Fluger family. Uh, we, as a team, were able to go out and to attend uh, the funeral. And um, to be there in the midst of Rex's hometown, surrounded by his loved ones, um, and to see that the hospitality that his family extended to us, you know, we're all coming to be in support of them. And, and here they are um, offering such generous hospitality. Rex's dad, you know, said, listen, do not um, spend a ton of time uh, con uh, consoling me. Um, his whole thing was, when you see me, thank me. And not only that, but, but, it, but extend your, your warm wishes for having been such a lucky man to have lived so long with Rebecca. And I thought, what a beautiful way, like a, an expression of gratitude that he had for the gift of life that he had received, not only in his wife, but in his two sons. And uh, Rex and his brother were marvelous in their own reflections. And so I just think, this is what I'm talking about. You know, you encounter people. Rex was, uh, you know, a freshman from Cali who was doing his thing. And all of a sudden now, as, as a fifth-year senior, um, the poise and, and the conversations that we've been, been that I've been 
so blessed to be a part of with him. Um, you know, it, it was just truly a blessing to be with them there and to see where he comes from and how it is that he um, continues to endure the challenges of life in, in, in a way that is mature with perspective, but yet also realizes that it's, it's a very hard thing to do to lose your mom at such a young age. Yeah, no question. And then I, I imagine the number one question any priest probably gets is, is why? Why, why did this happen? Right. How do you begin to try to answer that question when, when it's posed to you? What I always think about here is to say, and it's not, um, Jesus never says when he invites his disciples to come and follow that life will be easy. He says that I will be with you always until the end of the age. Um, and so it, it flips the narrative. I think sometimes we think, well, how is it that a person um, who, who lives such a good life, who is so tender and loving to so many, that you could take this person from our world? Um, and, and I always think to myself that the cross comes for us all in its own way, shape, or form. The beauty of living our lives of faith and, and, and disciplining ourselves is so that we can begin to understand that reality. And not only that, but that we can begin to endure the hardships that come our way with hope, um, with, with a realization that death is not the end. Um, life has changed. It is not ended. And so always to that question of why, why? Because God calls us home. Because we have a belief that this is not the end of the story. But that moment of realization of the difficulty that is to come, I actually think that's worth pondering, which is, okay, how am I going to embrace this cross just as Jesus did? I'm sure Jesus would have thought, and in fact, I know, as the agony in the garden demonstrates, he would have preferred it another way. He would have liked this um, salvation of souls to perhaps gone down in a way that did not mean him hanging from the cross, but yet he willingly endured that with the belief that something greater was at play here. And I think anyone who follows after Christ, anyone who follows after the example of Jesus, is afforded that very same opportunity to ask these questions and to live into it. And so I really do think that in the midst of that, um, we have to be mindful of the fact that we, we follow after a Savior who is not asking us to do anything he himself has not already done. Father Pete, thank you very much. My pleasure. That is Father Pete McCormick, chaplain for the Notre Dame men's basketball team. A lot of great insights there, and I think uh, the one of the team going out for, for Rex's uh, funeral, oh, yeah. being there, or for um, his mom's funeral, Rebecca Pfluger, you know, and, and being there for Rex, uh, just, you know, had to be a difficult time, and, and it shows you how powerful and and how much strength is shown by the Pfluger family that, you know, they were kind of, thanking everybody for coming as opposed to grieving. Oh, that was incredible. I mean, the story about his dad saying, you know, don't console me. You know, I'm I'm lucky that I had that much time with her. In- incredible stuff. All right. Thank you again to Father Pete McCormick for joining us, chaplain for the Notre Dame men's basketball team on Focus on Faith. If you like all things Notre Dame, be sure to stay tuned for Church Life Today. Coming up right after us, Lenny Lorenzo of the McGrath Institute for Church Life is your host. That's next here on Redeemer Radio with replays tonight at 6 and Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. All right, time for a timeout. We've got rapid fire when we return our predictions, and we'll let you know who's the one or two guys that maybe you should know from Bowling Green (laughs) right after this on Notre Dame FC's Irish Sports Saturdays. Does debt have you down? Are you worried about your credit cards, your mortgage, or keeping your car? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union can help. Our people are trained to be financial physicians. They can give you a checkup, help you to heal, and then stay healthy. 
Don't be embarrassed, it's why we exist. When your body is sick, you go to see a doctor. When your finances are sick, you go to see the friendly folks at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? This is a week for our football team to really look at themselves and say, you know, um, do I want to be great? Um, or is this as good as it gets? Um, and, you know, that rhetorical question of, um, you know, our mission here is to graduate champions. And um, this is a week where you can focus um, on being a champion. You know, all the details um, that are so important to, to being one, you get the opportunity uh, to sharpen that this week. Well, at least he didn't say we treat every opponent the same. Because <laughs> Bowling Green's in town at one and three. You got to come up with something else to motivate your right. players. And let's be the best we can be yeah. is probably the way to do it. All right, time for our sprint now. Angel DiCarlo, Alex Wilcox here, uh, Notre Dame and Bowling Green coming up at 330. Uh, <laughs> craziest thing in 10 years that Brian Kelly's been in Notre Dame, I believe this was the first week he did not name a single player from the other team <laughs> in his opening remarks. It just goes to show you how uh, how bad Bowling Green probably is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th I mean that's that that's stunning. You know, e even in these games where objectively Notre Dame is obviously the better team, Brian Kelly always says something nice yes. about their quarterback or their you know their cornerback or defensive lineman or anything. You know, to not come up with anything. I mean, you know, he he may have not even known who they were. Yeah, uh, so we'll just say real quick, the quarterback is Darius Wade. He's completing 58% of his passes, 640, 664 yards passing, three touchdowns. The two running backs, Devon Jones and Andrew Clare. Uh, linebackers are probably the best position. Brandon Purse, 38 tackles, four tackles for loss. Linebacker Jerry Roberts, 25 tackles, four tackles for loss. I just looked up the stats. If you were asking me to break down Bowling Green, all I can tell you is they're not very good. <laughs> right. Um, that's all you need to know. That's that's pretty much all you need to know. All right. Uh, what's what's your prediction here today? I'm going 59 to three. I think Bowling Green gets on the board. The Irish don't get a shutout, uh, but uh, this Irish offense is going to put up a lot of points against BVG's defense. I, I can't believe everyone is going with this low number. I'm surprised no one's saying like 70 or something like that. <laughs> I'm going to go with 66 to 7. Um, I think Brian Kelly is going to try to put on the brakes on BBG. The problem is, you know, the defense probably scores a few touchdowns <laughs> again this week. Could or be. at least sets them up inside the 10-yard line a couple times. Oh, yeah. And I think that's a problem. I think the biggest key... Phil Dracovic better play quite a bit today, and yeah. I, I think if he doesn't, that's a problem because it means Notre Dame didn't get out in front as quickly. But I would think almost the whole entire second half might be Phil Dracovic. I, I I would hope so. Ian, Ian Book and the starters. I don't want to see the starters in the second half at all. If if this game goes according to plan, yeah. Uh, but you do need to see them playing some good football as well, so oh, I'm yeah. sure they're going to try to work on that as well. All right, that will do it for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays, Notre Dame FCU, where Bank does matter. Thanks to our audio operator today, Matt Florian. For Alex Wilcox, I'm Angel DiCarlo. Notre Dame and Bowling Green kick off at 3.30 on NBC. You can watch locally on WNDU. I have updates throughout the game on social media. We will, of course, be back here with you next Saturday morning at 9 a.m. to preview Notre Dame Showdown with US. SC next Saturday night. But today, the Irish, 
Look to improve to 4-1 against Bowling Green. We close out our show the same way the Irish will close out their pregame with a prayer from one of the Irish team chaplains. Hi, this is Father Nate Wills. I'm a Holy Cross priest, a faculty member at Notre Dame's Alliance for Catholic Education, and one of the chaplains to the Notre Dame football team. This is a prayer that the players pray together at the end of our pregame mass. Let us pray. Grant, we beseech you, O Lord our God, that we may enjoy continual health of mind and body, and by the glorious intercession of Mary our Lady, may we accept the joys and trials of this life and someday enter into eternal happiness. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Go Irish! This has been a presentation of Redeemer Radio Sports. Thanks for joining us for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Enjoy today's game. We spend money on extras in our life. That extra cup of coffee, the extra screen on our Netflix subscription, or that extra fee for faster shipping. But what if the bit of extra you give was more than a temporal gratification? By giving a little of your extra to Redeemer Radio, you are investing in the eternal. Souls are being changed every day because of what is being broadcast through the airwaves. Be a part of someone's conversion. Give a little extra to Redeemer Radio.